This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. BSBOT, some number, and by that some number, games five and six. The Eastern Conference Finals versus the New Jersey Devils in 1994. If you have if this is your first time listening, why? Uh, we've done games one, two, three, and four. Uh, one, or, one or two does there, but mostly double overtime games. And I have a feeling we'll see another one of those soon. These two games today are uh, a little bit interesting because the Rangers get absolutely what I would call dominated in one game in game five. And then game six is the infamous, the legendary Messier guarantee game, which I think I have a lot of interesting takes about now that after I watched it again, or rather I've watched it in full in the first time in, in, since I've had an adult brain. Uh, Gregory, say hello. Yeah, I don't have I don't have things I want to talk about beforehand. I think I've dug up. I guess the one thing I'll talk about beforehand, and it kind of trans, transitions into breaking these games down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've ever hated a coach in hindsight more than I hate Mike Keenan. Yeah. I, I really, I really don't know. I don't know. It's, I'm so happy I was five years old and didn't understand anything back in 1994 as it was happening. But watching these games now, they are infuriating. And Mike Keenan gives me a reason every time to be like, why the fuck were we all cool with this Jamoke as our head coach? <laughs> it really, oh, it just, it just, I, I can't stand it. Between, we talked about how he put the white flag up in game four. Absolutely, did. And it, it's funny because we we sat here and said it felt like players were getting less ice time than they were. Because we don't but have we didn't have for those who are back it up. at home. We don't have the we don't have the time on ice. They did not record it in 1994. But for some reason, the CBC is the broadcast I get of Game Five, and they show the graphic that says. Brian Leach had 13 minutes of ice time in game four. That's inexcusable. And then as game five is happening, the announcers say there's a 12-minute period where Mark Messier doesn't see the ice. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, I don't, what fucking message are you trying to send to your team that is currently losing game five and is about to face a do-or-die game six on the road? Like, that's not the time to send a message. I don't know. I don't know what the message is he's trying to play. I don't. I understand that he's got the nickname Iron Mike, and he does just batshit insane stuff like this all the time. Why were we okay? Why were people okay with it? I, the has, question authority a little bit has to be a big reason why he didn't come back. Has to be. Well, the big reason the big reason he didn't come back is because it sounded like at the end of it, uh, Neil Smith and Mike Keenan wanted to kill each other. And that there's your reason why he didn't come back. I kind of understand why they wanted to kill each other because oh, they both kind of suck. <laughs> if, I, like, if I'm Smith I, and he's doing this and I, he's not having Messi or Leach, who I believe are my best two players on the ice, I'm freaking out. I'm flipping out. It's, but it's, 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 you know, Keenan worked better with veteran players, so mm-hmm. Smith had to trade some of his younger guys that he might not have wanted to trade. At the same time, Mike Neil Smith, in his own right, fucking moron. Because not <laughs> only does he do these trades for Mike Keenan, but then he hires Colin Campbell after Mike Keenan and makes trades for Colin Campbell, like the infamous Zubov 
and yes. Medved trade. Yeah. So it's this isn't. It's look. It's a good fucking thing the Rangers won in 1994. If they don't win in 1994, we're still talking about a Stanley Cup drought. We are. No question about it. No doubt. They about mortgaged it. the future. They didn't just mortgage the future. They took so many credit cards out on the future and then ran up a debt that they're still that they tried to pay off until Henrik Lundqvist showed up. Well, they're still it's they're incredible. still collecting checks on '94. It's the only way they can do it. Like <laughs> that. I just, we it's, hear more about these, the 94 these, team every single year. It's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast because I know, but the the Mike the Mike Keenan, I, I have nothing to defend that man. I, Elaine Vigno was a better coach than Mike Keenan. Woo, 100. percent Here, I'll, I'll, I'll get, there are some examples for Game Six that I'll actually back this up. And I guess before we get into Game Five, I'll just say this right now. Okay. Actually, no. Let's just talk about Game Five. All right. I'll get to the examples later. So Game Five's a bit of a dud. If you're just watching it, especially if you're a Ranger fan, even if you're just a fan of hockey, it's a bit of a dub. Uh, Bernie Nichols scores a first period goal, then really no action. I mean, there's a lot of hits and a lot of dirty play in the second period. <laughs> Jeff Bukaboom tried to Jeff he kills Riche. Yeah, it's he murders Stefan Riche. No penalty is called, but he immediately gets suspended. It's the no second pen- time in this series that a player tried to murder another player. First, it was Bernie Nichols on Kovalev. No penalty called. And then Bukaboom legitimately tries to kill Stefan Riche. No penalty called, but immediately does a one hitter. Uh, and then as soon as Riche gets to the boards, just lays him out. That's it. The first, the first hit's not so bad. It's not. I, it, it's kind of what I expect from 1994 hockey. Mm-hmm. What I didn't expect was Jeff Bukaboom to basically follow him to the boards, allow Riche to get on his feet, and then immediately send him face first back into the boards. Yes, uh, a serious boarding call, I would say. Um, yeah, I. I love Jeff Bukaboom. He was one of the first Rangers that was identifiable for me growing up. He'll always have a special place in my heart. But that play, what the fuck? Can I tell you? I don't understand what life was like in 1994. I got to meet Jeff Bukaboom one time um, very quickly. It was during my performance as the Kapope when I met Kako. And Jeff Bukaboom was there. And he pointed at my shirt and he says, you got the kid with the wrong-handed stick, you fucking idiot. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, I can see a guy across the ice. No, he's, he's the wrong stick. Because the original Kako shirt, he's printed wrong-handed. There's only like six of them made. And Jeff Bukaboom immediately called me out. And I felt really embarrassed and walked away. Even though I was already in a Pope costume. But yes. He probably, Jeff- wanted, he probably wanted to murder you too. Yeah, I mean. So you, you and Stefan Riche finally have something in common. After, Yeah, that's the only thing, I think. Um, after, after seeing what he did to Riche, I, I, I feel even worse about what he said to me. Um, this whole game is, is just very strange. It, uh, Mark Messier is noted as having sore ribs. Maybe that's one of the reasons, uh, for the less playing time. Uh, they did, they talked about this pinch in stats. Uh, the Rangers, uh, have 65 to 14 pinch-ins. And then they talk about how the, the, you know, these coach, these coaches and these GMs, they love typing these numbers into their computers and they come right up. Dude, did Excel, yeah. did Excel like exist in 94? And, <laughs> and there was, there was also a swipe during the game about how uh, they made a swipe at baseball for all the numbers that people yes. use to talk about the game of baseball oh, and how that God. is now infiltrating hockey. And it, it like, it made me audibly scoff. I was like, ugh, I was like taken aback by it. Uh, That's another not the thing only I never time they hear do that, about, Greg. They do it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I never want to hear about again, Ryan. Shut the fuck up about the ice. I don't know why announcers are obsessed with talking about the ice. In this one, they were talking about how the Knicks had played the night before. It was the warmest day of the year in New York. 
the arena, they tried to keep MSG at 65 degrees and couldn't do it. So now the ice is fucking choppy everywhere. Shut the ever-loving fuck up about the ice. <laughs> I've heard way too much about the condition of the ice through the first five games of this series. It is the last thing I care about when it comes to play. Unless they're literally skating on concrete, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Both teams have to play on the same surface. Shut up about the ice. I know I'm talking about something that happened a literal <laughs> 26 years ago. Yes. But I am offended that it's being brought up as much as it is. The whole game, uh, it's, it's a pretty close game until the, the third period, obviously, a one-goal game. And then the, the Devils just go to town. I mean, Well, the they, Rangers also pee-pee-poo-pooed their pants in the second time. half of this game. Big they time. score on themselves, mm-hmm. which they did again in game five, or game six that we'll get to. Yes. Uh, no one really has a good game. I Watching the entire thing, I was trying to think of if there was one person I would sit back and say he was the best Ranger. I think Sergei Zubov was solid. For me, it was Tegan. Probably... I know he scored, but like the rest of the game, he was pretty good too. He was pretty feisty. Yeah, Kovalev didn't have a good game. Uh, the announcers were clear to point out that it looked like Kovalev stopped skating on the shorthanded goal that the Devils scored. Um, it, it's tough. No, no one played a good game, and it, it was coming off the heels of no one playing a good game in game four, and all Mike Keenan was doing was just a whole heap of nothing, just making excuses. It was interesting to me that it's the only time I can think of where an NHL head coach is actually openly talking about how dinged up his players are in the postseason. Every coach we have today will make an excuse about how every player is dinged up, so it doesn't matter to talk about why one guy is a little bit more hurt than the other. Mm-hmm. But it did, like, Keenan was throwing out excuses about Brian Leach, even though Leach said he felt totally fine. Uh, there are the Brian Noonan whispers going around, and it turns out that Noonan didn't play in game six, though we don't know if that was 100% injury-related. Um, it's just, it, was, it was interesting in hindsight, to hear a coach openly say that his team wasn't playing as well because they're hurt, as if he's trying to make excuses already, instead of, I don't know, saying why he's just a colossal failure of a coach in these two games. Yeah, well, he was a colossal failure, for sure. He was bad! These The games four and five were fireable offenses in my mind. Uh, it, it honestly, game six is almost a fireable offense. I don't really have well, game, much. Game six is terrible for the first 38 minutes of that game. That's correct. Oh, and we'll get to game six in a second. Cause right now, like when I was watching the game, I, I took some notes on, you know, both games and all that, but even just game five, I was like, wow, really not much going on on the Ranger side. Like just dead zombies the whole time. And they try and get some, they try and have some hits like Garen hits Leech and Leech says, you know, he just gets beat up a little bit. Like, everyone just gets destroyed all, all game. And then third period, the barrage comes. Richter can't stop it. I don't blame him because they're spending most of the time in the Ranger zone, like, forever. And then the game's over before you know it. And Brodor almost has a shut up, shutout until he lets a, a real softy in against Issa Tikkanen. Tikkanen, sorry. Yeah, honestly, games five and six weren't great for Brodeur. Uh, it was a softy with Tikkanen. And this might sound sacrilege, but Messier's first goal in game six goalies today if they let that in we're bitching about the goalie so i have a lot of thoughts about this actually all right so let's just get to game six shall we i mean yeah there's not i mean it's not even that we're skating by game five i can't understate just how little happened ranger wise in game five that was noticeable but if we're jumping into game six let me let me throw some things go for it off at you i have some things too but go for it uh keenan puts the lineup basically in a blender kovalev is now on messier's line yes I don't know why he waited until game six 
to do this necessarily. No idea. But Ko- Kovalev is up. Uh, they bring up the fact that so Bukabun gets suspended, and before Bukabun's suspension, they were going to healthy scratch Karpatsev and bring Lidster into the lineup. But instead, all they with Bukabun suspended, Keenan says, "All right, Karpatsev's playing like shit." But I have a suspension now, so I guess I'll just put him with Leach on the first line. Yeah, that's what that's what like, he does. Yes. What if if you're literally if if you have the lineup healthy and no one is hurt and no one is suspended, and you're not gonna play Karpatsev, you can't then promote Karpatsev because Bukaboom gets suspended. I like Karpatsev plays a fine game, but even halfway through the game, he moves Lidster up to Leach's line. Like if you're gonna if you're admitting that Karpatsev shouldn't be playing in the first place, don't put him with Leach. Like it's not that hard. What are you doing? I know. You were not going to play him and 12 I, hours ago. I will note um, a stat from Hockey Stat Miner that he gave to me today was, uh, on upon review, Mike Richter faced uh, five 2v1s in game six, I believe it was, or something like that. And he, he saves all of them, and then he also saves a 2v4. Like, Richter well, there, there, had... There was, one, there was one odd man rush where Richter gets absolutely burned, but for some reason Scott Stevens didn't want to score. Like, there's, there's no other reason to describe how Scott Stevens missed. He was, he saw an open net. He had plenty of time. He was in a good position. And for some reason he decided to just make the game more interesting. I think it it was bad. It was bad. It was the one that Richter made a lot of good saves, but Richter got absolutely beat on this play. And for whatever reason, Stevens just didn't want to put it in the back. I think you're actually downplaying Richter in this game. Richter made a lot of insane saves, especially after the two early goals, which were just like, can you imagine, uh, I guess what, I, I like to think of what it would be like on the podcast if we were watching this game, or even if we were live casting the game, it would be so hard to have any confidence at all after the Devils come up and score 2 nothing. One of them is just a, like, but one of them is a deflection goal, and one of them is a, almost an own goal, if not an own goal, and just, uh, I can't even, like, it's the, at the end of the first period, you're going to the second period, the crowd is dead, like, really silent. I know it's... For, for Rangers, I know it's in New Jersey, but still, you could tell, like, a lot of it is Ranger fan, it's still quiet. It still is. And to go through this whole thing, as a Ranger fan myself, I knew it would be all doom and gloom for me. Somebody, somebody messaged me on Twitter today, said they turned the TV off. It's one of their biggest regrets ever. Yeah, dude. I, like, I don't, I don't think I would do that, but I can understand why you would, because it feels like impending doom is coming, and there's no way. And we didn't even get to the Messi guarantee yet. Because before- well, well, I think that's another interesting part of this game. I'm, I'm sure they talked about the Messier guarantee at nauseum on the pregame show. And I'm sure if we were watching the MSG feed, they would talk about it all the time. But I, would, I went in this game knowing it was the guarantee game. Gary Thorne and Bill Clement don't bring it up until the Devils have scored twice. Yes. And it's, it's interesting because now thinking about it in hindsight, it's the only thing anyone ever talks about that game. I know this because when I started watching this game, I had already forgotten that the Rangers had fallen behind 2-0 to start the game. I just assumed Mark Messier came out of the gates blazing hot and this game was never in question. So the fact that the Rangers were down 2-0, I'm just sitting there like, damn. And they finally start talking about the guarantee game because for a second, I thought I accidentally put the tape in for game two again or game three again. Yep. And that I was watching the wrong game. But yeah, it's... It's, cra- it's crazy that it wasn't talked about more, but as soon as the Rangers started coming back, that's all they were talking about, and fair game on that. Absolutely. Uh, I, so I watched a little bit of a of post-game from Game 5, um, and it was, it was just interview- interviews with a couple of different Ranger players and such like that, 
And Adam Graves talks about how, you know, a lot of people in this locker room have had their backs against the wall before, and we're going to do it again. And Messier eventually gives the uh, – uh, we're going to – I don't think he does it in the post game, but I think he gives it, like, later in the week, right before the game actually happens. I guarantee we'll win this game the day before the game. And he talks about this and says, I didn't expect that to be as big as it was. I was just trying to get my team – like, give my team confidence to know I believe in them. And then he he said he woke up, he saw the paper, and he said that was like he, – he, he didn't think about it once the game started, which I still find hard to believe, by the way. Um, but he, he's like, I kind of wanted to just roll back in bed. Like I didn't expect this to be the media storm. It was. So to Mark Messier, it wasn't a big deal, but to all us Ranger fans and to almost everybody in like the hockey world, it's known as the guarantee game. And Gregory, I have to be honest, even though it is the guarantee game. And even though Mark Messier does score four points, including three goals in the third period, a hat trick, it is a little like his game. Is not He's dominant, but he's not like what you would think happens with Marc Messier. Like, in my mind's eye in this game, Marc Messier absolutely rips it up and destroys. And he wins a ton of face-offs here. I mean, I have the stat here. Halfway through the first uh, third period, uh, he wins fi- 15 of 22 face-offs. Messier has already won. He's He's been, like, very noticeable on the ice and everything. But all, even all three of his goals, like, they're not spectacular. Like, they're not like, oh, my God, Marc Messier he's taking over the game. It's just not like that. And to watch it unfold in that way is kind of surprising after sort of the myth and legend around Marc Messier in this case. Yeah. Um, honestly, the prettiest goal in the game was Kovalev's Absolutely. from a Rangers perspective. Uh, it was just a snipe from the top right, and Broder never had a shot, even if he thought he had a shot. But look, we shit on Broder all the time on we this do. podcast, mostly for Dad. personal reasons. Yes, most, But if, if we want... If we, if you're a Devils fan, Messier's first goal that ties the game at two-two, soft as baby shit. It, it's a, it's a goal that had no business of being scored. It's a weak backhander. It's a great play to create the scoring opportunity. Great play, no surprise. Brian Leach at the center of it. A mav- marvelous way to get even a contested scoring opportunity for Messier, which is what it was. But it was a weak backhander that Broder should have read the entire way, and it just he lets it. In. He didn't get any height on it. It wasn't top shelf. It was right at Brodeur. And Brodeur just, he he choked. He choked on it. It's and important that's to all note the momentum to, that Messier needed. It's important to note right now that Brodeur during this game is 21 years old and a rookie. Um, and despite him being one of the best goaltenders of all time, he's still a rookie. And this is a huge moment. And he knows it's Marc Messier. He saw the, <laughs> he saw the front page. It's impossible for him not to see it. I'm sure people were talking about it. Uh, and you'll never know if that got into his head or not. And I'm sure he doesn't care now because he's won a few cups himself. But that was definitely a moment where he let he let his team down. It was a really soft goal. And I, I think even the second goal here, I mean, we're kind of rushing ahead. But I guess we'll just talk about the rest of the whole the game as a whole at this point. Like, the second goal is really all Kovalev. Like, Kovalev snipes it from the, right, uh, from the left side. It bounces off. And Mark Messier is right place, right time, and is able to get like an easy put in. It's not like this insane Messier drive to the net, put the put the puck in the net. It's like he's at the right place. And kudos to Messier. I am not taking anything away for him from him in this situation. He just like that that whole play is developed by Leach and Kovalev in my eyes after watching it. Like Messier just happens to be right at the center of where where he needs to be at that point in time. 
Yeah, and again, this begs the question, I understand, I appreciate that Keenan changed things after Game 5, but I don't understand how you see what happened in Game 4. You, for whatever reason, decide to punish all your players mid-game, in Game 4, and you don't make the changes before Game 5. Because Kovalev gave new life to Mark Messier throughout this entire game. I'm not saying that if you go back in time, he gives life to Mark Messier in Game 5 as well. All I know is whatever was happening in Game 4 didn't work. And if you think you need to make changes before Game 6, you should have made them before Game 5. Kovalev should have been getting more ice time. Um, after Game 5, Nemchinov is basically persona non grata for the Rangers. He, after being a big factor in the first three games, huge factor. I would say this three-game run, really bad for Sergei Nemchinov. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I, I don't get, I don't understand Keenan's mindset. And it, the more we watch, the more it feels like the New York Rangers won in spite of Mike Keenan and not because of Mike Keenan. It does feel that way. Uh, I, I think it's so hard to win a cup and it, it makes me, I think, uh, what, this is a weird take, I think, maybe, I don't know. It makes me appreciate the 2014 team even a little bit more because it, with with a few more bounces like the right way, I still think that team could have won a cup. And just watching, like, the revered legendary 94 team, like, this team barely won. They barely won. And we haven't even gotten to the Vancouver series yet, which I'm sure is going to be very interesting, even comparatively to this. Like, this team barely got through. And to know that the the 2014 team with Henrik Lundqvist, like, they probably could have had it. And a couple bounces went the wrong way. And this Devils team, like, they weren't a joke either. Like, they they probably had every right to win this series, too. Except we'll see what happens in Game 7. I mean, you guys know what happens, but uh, we'll go over Game 7 next week. But it, it, it does make me respect 2014 and even the 2015 team a little bit more. Because, like, man, it's really hard to win a Stanley Cup. It's just almost impossible. Well, that's that's the other thing. So, if we're talking about teams catching the breaks, the New York Rangers, to this point, haven't caught a single break. If anything, everything has kind of gone against them. They Games 5 and 6, they score on themselves twice. Yep. They, nice the job. devils, the, the devils are getting the benefit. I think more of the whistle than the Rangers are. I, I understand that in game five, Boogaboom boom committed murder and a penalty wasn't called, but in game six, there are at least two penalties that were blatant that weren't called one. Yeah. Uh, Martin Brodeur high sticks, Essa Tikkanen right in front of the goal. And instead they call Tikkanen for goalie interference. Cause he got pissed off fair. Can't really defend him there at the same time. Brodeur blatant high stick. Whatever reason we didn't call, refs didn't call it, Devils get a power play. Uh, later in the game, I think it was John McClain fucking tomahawk chopped Glenn yes. Anderson in the head. Yes. And Glenn Anderson, being the stupid prick that I've learned that Glenn <laughs> Anderson is on the other We're very angry at the 94 team today, Greg. Yeah, well, that's fair there. because they did some stupid shit in this series <laughs> that I think needed, needs to be highlighted. Yeah. It's not all just rainbows and leprechauns for the New York Rangers in 1994. But Glenn Anderson gets tomahawk chalk by John McClain. No penalty for reasons we can't understand. And then Glenn Anderson skates down the ice and winds up to, I, I think it was Bernie Nichols that he just... He does. It's, and the slashing call? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Polite way of calling it was a slash. He fucking Barry Bonds swings at Bernie Nichols across the chest. 
and then is flabbergasted that he gets called for a penalty. And Mike Keenan is know. also flabbergasted that he got called for a penalty. There's two minutes yes. and 49 seconds left. Yeah, and we should note, again, Glenn Anderson decides to take a penalty out of rage with two minutes and 49 seconds left in the third period of a one-goal must-win game for the New York Rangers. I don't give a shit. Like, I get it. You're angry because someone, not even seconds before that penalty, tried to end your life and nothing was called. That's fine. And I understand the result is the Marc Messier length of the ice goal for the hat trick. You cannot take that penalty. I don't give a shit who you are. That's that's what I'm saying about the breaks not going the right. Like, this is the one break that went the Rangers' way because they didn't give up the game-tying goal and, in fact, added to their lead there. But that... If if Glenn Anderson took that penalty in the year 2020 in the playoffs when the Rangers are nursing a one-goal lead with less than three minutes to go in a game that if the Rangers lose, the season is over, I would be out of my mind. I, I don't know the words I to think, use I to think describe we would the mindset I would replace Potvin sucks with Glenn Anderson sucks. I really I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't have time to create a chant because I would already be in my car driving to Madison Square Garden to try and take care of business myself when it comes to Glenn Anderson. <laughs> like, I, w- I would be on the phone with someone that knew what cab he would be getting in to get home. I would, I'd, be, I'd be out of this world. I get it. There should have been penalties called the Rangers way before that, but you cannot under any circumstance. He is, the, the play is a mile away from Glenn Anderson. He's literally doing this out of anger. And the fact that it, it, the Rangers somehow benefited from it is nuts but it's unforgivable in my mind glenn anderson has had a shit series this entire way through what he did in game six i murder was on the table that's all i'm saying it's uh, and by the way i think it was pretty justifiable like that's one of those moments where like a player would he, it, if they it, scored there we would, we would still be talking about glenn anderson today yeah it, it's it, oh you're saying my murdering of glenn anderson is justifiable yes Oh, I thought for a second you were trying to say that what he did was justified. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was about to say, unreal. Uh, I will say hilarious that people were throwing hats on the ice and that ESPN didn't want to show hats on the ice after Marc Messier scored. I know. And after Marc Messier scores, uh, the Gary Thorne quote is all time. He says, there is no greater theater than sports. And Messier is writing the stuff of which legends are made. And a Gary Thorne. Gary Thorne is unfucking defeated. <laughs> I understand crazy. that. I understand that we're about to get a little annoyed with how he calls the Mateau goal and says the Rangers can forget about 1940 before they even win the Stanley Cup. I get that people are going to are upset about that still, and I get that it's probably not going to sit 100 right with us at the end. But you know what? I think was the reason why Game Five was such a stinker. It's because we didn't have the Gary Thorne broadcast. For some reason, we got Hockey Night in Canada, and it just wasn't as good. Between the announcers pronouncing names differently, I don't know about you. It was driving me insane that I was hearing Fetisov instead of Fetisov yeah. the entire time. Yep. It's little stuff like that. Gary Thorne is just a saint. And I want Gary Thorne calling every sporting event I watch. I did try to reach out this, to Gary Thorne to get him on the show. In case you were wondering. Dude, I have – buckle up. That would be a three-hour podcast. I wouldn't let you get a word in Ed's rise. Because I'm sure you saw it on Twitter. Um June 30th was the anniversary of the Mets 10 run inning against the Braves I did. in 2000. I saw it. And Both Gary Thorne has one of the iconic Mets home run calls from Mike Piazza Goodbye. in that home game. 
it's incredible. Gary Thorne, he can take up residency on Pusher's Breakaway. If we get him on, if we ever talk to him, he needs to do. I, I love Mark Messier. Gary Thorne does our. Show I sent intro. I sent an email to uh, his agent through MLB.com or whatever. So we'll see. I'll probably never hear back, but um, I tried, you know. Uh, but yeah, he has amazing quotes here. And he said, you know, the do you believe it at the end when he, when Mark Messier scores again. And again, so to recap Mark Messier's scores, I mean goals rather, he has a soft, really soft backhander. He's in front of the net uh, playing a deflection off a Kovalev shot, Kovalev shot, and he has an empty netter. And when you hear about this game as as a child or as a Ranger fan, you go, man, that Mark Messier game, he got a hat trick when he guaranteed a win. And it, he did, and he did it all in the third period. But somehow, despite how all impressive that is on paper, uh, it's just not as impressive when you watch it, despite it still being absolutely legendary and amazing. I don't know how to mix those two feelings together, but that's where I'm at. Oh, well, I, I, I know how to mix it together. It, the, the easiest comparable is the compared to the last time a New York sports athlete guaranteed anything and it came through on that guarantee. Joe Namath? People talk about Joe Namath guaranteeing a win in Super Bowl three Super Bowl three is unwatchable Joe Namath doesn't have a good game but all we talk about from that game is Joe Namath said the Jets would win and the Jets won I think the final score of that game was something like 10 to 7 like it it I understand old-time football is tough to watch period but even by old-time football standards Super Bowl three is a snoozer and yet we talk about Joe Namath and all you see there's a reason why the only highlight you see from Super Bowl three is Joe Namath holding one finger up running off the field. It's because there's nothing watchable from that game. So New York myth-making is unlike anything else we see in sports. And it's just so much easier to say Messier said they would win, and he scored three goals. Yeah. I, there's no Yankee moment like that, right? I don't think so. Like a guarantee? Yeah, I don't think there is. Yeah, uh, I'll think of it. But I don't think no, there is one. I know the, the, Met, the Met comparable, they didn't say this at the time. Well, they didn't say it outright. But the, the 86 Mets knew they had to win game six of the National League Championship Series because if they lost game six, they'd have to face Mike Scott, who they all said was cheating and was cheating at the time. And they knew they wouldn't beat Mike Scott in game seven in Houston. Got it. So whenever, whenever you go back to watch – and and it also turns out that game six of the 86 NLCS is one of the greatest playoff games of all time. Um, so again, helps with the myth-making, but that the only time, the only things at this time in 1994, you can compare that Messier quote to was Namath and the 86 Mets. And, the, and look, all three of those things end in championships, which is why we still talk about them today. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the game in general, though, I, wa- I went out and watched some of the uh, the post-game. You know, Mark Richter sa- talks about how he like kind of just laughs. He's like, this guy who was the leader of the team really goes out and scores a hat-trick in the third period. Like, I, the only thing I could do was laugh. Brian Leach was like, I can't believe this happened. This guy's unreal. But I have to be honest, Mike Richter and Brian Leach were better players, I think, even in that game than Mark Messier. And Kovalev was, too. I think you can make a case that Mark Messier, in his guarantee game, his signature game, is maybe the fourth best ranger on the ice, which it might be a hot take. I don't know, but that's what it feels like. Uh, maybe. I will say this. I think the thing that nudges Messier a little bit further, if it was Steve Larmer scoring these goals, I don't think the team reacts in the same way. I think, I think, it, 
I, I do believe in in-game momentum, you know? And I think the fact that it's Messier who led the charge, basically. And Messier, if you if you remember, when Kovalev scores, they do the, the team hug, and Messier is just barking orders in that huddle. I do think it 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 means something that Messier set up Kovalev, and then I think it elevated the team even more that it was Messier who scored the next three goals. I, I, I think the game hits differently for the Rangers if a Steve Larmer or Doug Lister or even Sergei Zubov scores the second goal. The fact that it was Messier, I think, elevated the team. I think it's incredible why we talked about Keenan earlier. Uh, obviously, the one thing he did well was change the lines and put them into a blender for game six. He didn't do it soon enough, as you pointed out. Uh, but from games, games five up until the third period of game six, like they didn't have any, there was nobody in front of the net really ever in front of for, for Brodor. And Brodor talks about that later on, like how the Rangers couldn't get anyone in front of him until the end of game six period. And the Rangers had zero odd man rushes going into the third period for the last two games. They got absolutely handled from game four or five and up until the 38 minute mark of game six. So it is a, a team that like we talked about, it's hard to win and they found a way. And Mark Messier was that sort of driving force of like, the leader they needed to get there. And Kovalev had Kovalev is like underrated somehow in this case. I, I know he's, he's not like a, a Ranger legend, but I do think after watching his performance in this game, and I know he's sort of like a, a, a boomer bust player. Like I do think he should be more of a, a more part of the 94 team, like more celebrated, but just isn't, I know he's a little bit of a wacky guy too, according to Gillian and stuff like that. <laughs> Jillian. Did you just call her, Did I call her Gillian? Jillian. You're struggling, man. Yeah. Well, well, I will say one one thing that I've noticed while we're doing this rewatch, and as as much as we talk up Leach, Richter, Messier, and Kovalev specifically in this game, a shockingly quiet series from Adam Graves, like very true. You if if he's just invisible, and I, I I know Adam Graves is one of the greatest Rangers ever. Obviously, there's a good reason why his number is in the rafters. And there's a good reason why the New York Rangers will only unretire that number once they acquire Jack Eichel. That's here. That's neither here nor there. Anyway, <laughs> Adam, Adam Graves, I think he had a goal in one of the first, in the, maybe the first game of the series, but he's just, he's been, he's been quiet. Real I quiet. notice him here or there on the ice because I, I do a double take and go, Oh yeah, that's Adam Graves. But he was playing with Messier for the large part of the series. And then, he was taken off the Messier line, I believe, and was playing with Tikkanen in, in game six. And I, I, I got to tell you, it's it's just shocking to see a series this important for the New York Rangers, where for the most part, Adam Graves has been kept quiet. Big time. Uh, it is strange. We'll see what happens over the next couple couple games here. One other note I have here, it says, it's still weird where, have, how McTavish has no helmet. Still killing me. Um <laughs> I, I will say McTav- McTavish was one of the few Rangers that I felt played a good game. He against. pushes it. He really does. He's really noticeable, not just because he doesn't have a fucking helmet on. <laughs> the whole well, they, they also, they, like, first of all, I think you're psychotic if you ever throw yourself in front of the puck uh, in terms of blocking shots. Those guys, like the Dan Girardis of the world, will always have my respect. But they show McTavish going to block a shot with no helmet on, with his face facing the shooter. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, this this guy wants to die. This, this is a dude who's literally asking to be killed on the ice. It, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around someone, not one, not wearing a helmet, and then two, going to block a shot without wearing a helmet. 
Like it's just crazy shit to me. No idea, man. All right. That's all I got for this week. Anything else you missed? Uh, no. And we, I will text Rick this week, uh, to get him on the pod for game seven. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. So next week we're doing game seven, the double overtime, uh, my toe game. So come on back, hang out with Ricky and I will we can, uh, Ricky, I, and Greg, of course, and we can, uh, recap and get his perspective of exactly what happened up until this point. I'm sure he has a lot of great stories. I can only imagine. And, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So, uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Orion Meat. Greg's at Blue Shirts Break. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.